One thing you can do when you sit all closer together is it's easier to sing a little bit, huh? You can cheat. God's good word for us to consider this morning is those brief words from John chapter 8. And if you'd like, I can encourage you to open a Bible up and follow along with me this morning. If you've got one of these white and blue ones there in your row, it's on page 866. And so, so 866, as we hear God's word. Americans were shocked uh, about seven years ago when a young man by the age of 21 broke into a church in Charleston, South Carolina, and killed nine people inside. We were particularly horrified because the killings were, were motivated just by skin color. They had nothing to do with money or property disputes or revenge or something else. It, had just, it was just about the way that the people looked, to be frank. It was terrible. And that's what made it so much more surprising when person after person, the relatives, stood up at the trial of this individual and forgave the shooter. Maybe you remember some of these comments. Ethel Lamb said, I will never talk to her again. I will never be able to hold her ever again, but I forgive you. Anthony Thompson said, I forgive you. My family forgives you. We'd like you to take this opportunity to repent. Confess to the one that matters the most so that he can change it. Change your ways no matter what happened to you. Felicia Sanders, may God have mercy on you. An unnamed relative, I'm very angry, but we are the family that love built. We have no room for hate, and so we forgive. Person after person forgave that family. Now, I have, I have no idea... I think we should take that forgiveness right at face value. We'd assume that the person, uh, that they actually genuinely forgave the forgiver. I don't, I don't see any reason not to take that forgiveness as genuine. I'm not sure if it was wise. Uh, there's all kinds of questions about that. Forgiveness is a profound and a very costly and complicated thing. But man, there is something pretty impressive, isn't there? When you have the opportunity to charge somebody to make somebody pay for what they did and it's the right thing i mean they they should pay for what they did they they inflicted so much damage on you and you have that chance to make them pay and then to not charge them for what they did to not hold them responsible and and make them pay for that there's an amazing amount of self-control in that isn't there there's an incredible amount of self-control. There's also a lot of freedom, personal freedom. I mean, these, these people who forgave, they weren't just free to say their mind. They weren't just free to, to come to the courtroom and be able to speak their piece. They weren't just free in a, a social system that allowed them to have something to say. You know, that's a rarity if you go into a lot of court systems around the world. There's no opportunity for that kind of freedom. I mean, they were also free personally, weren't they? Internally. They were free from resentment. They were free from guilt. They were free from hatred and anger and blame. That's pretty impressive. That's a, a lot of personal freedom. They were even free from the outrage that was ripping through the country at the time. I think... I think a lot of us would have been pretty motivated by the outrage. 
I think of other examples I've seen of that kind of personal freedom. I knew a, a man, I've told you my story of my friend Canute a couple times. He lost his wife to cancer and, and it just dragged him down. It, it ruined his life for a while. Fell into drinking and everything else. Lost his home. He was homeless, just wandering all over the United States. Until he, he came back and he became friends with a number of Christians and other good people. And something about all of the interactions that happened after that point, once he came back, right, people began to just love him and encourage him. And he changed. He began to let go of all of the bitterness and the anger and the guilt and the resentment that he felt about his wife's passing. And even though he, he was still in a very bad state in life, he didn't hold on to anything he had after that point tightly. You know, he was the guy who would then take people who were homeless and, and make sure that they got food. He was the guy who was driving people around to shelters, to, to drug meetings, when, when he had nothing himself. And he died in absolute poverty. He had a couch and a bed and a chair in his, in his apartment. I, I visited him as he died. He had nothing to his name because everything that he had held on to tightly in life, he let go of. Something incredible happened. Something remarkable happened to him after he lost his wife. He suddenly became free, so free, not because of the loss, but because of some way that he was loved after the loss, that he just he didn't have to hold on to anything in his life anymore. It was a remarkable change in him. You know, I, I look at us, and I know that some of us are not free like that. I, I think about the the woman who said to me one time something about how a person had said something to her 20 years ago and she still wasn't able to forgive that person for what she said. 20 years is a long time to carry a lot of resentment around, isn't it? And are any of us held captive in that way? You know, or I think about the person who has a, a challenge with just judging the people that they meet constantly. There's a lot of people who make a lot of bad decisions in life and doesn't just hold them responsible for those decisions, but they judge the people as bad people. And think of how much that does to that person. They're not free to love those people, to enjoy good relationships. Is that any of us trapped in that way? And then maybe there's those of us who are trapped in secret sins, the people who are trapped, busy telling lies, the people who just want to get ahead in life, the people who are trying to climb to the top of the pile, those of us who are desperate for approval. There's so many of us, aren't there, that aren't free? So what I want to ask you as we start here, what makes you captive? What is holding you captive? What do you need to be free from? There's a little spot in your weekly notes, the weekly uh, the, the bulletin outline there that I gave you. If you want, you can write that down. What is something that might be holding you captive? And if you don't know, then maybe, maybe this is the time to keep listening to Jesus. Because Jesus says this very profound statement that explains it. He says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth 
and the truth will set you free. He makes the point that only his teaching found in the Bible will teach you the truth and set you free. Now, in many ways, that's not controversial at all. There's a lot of people who say the truth will set you free. I was looking around, and there's over 24 universities in America who take as their motto, the truth will set you free, or some small variation on it. They all recognize that there's a kind of slavery in life that has nothing to do with the resources we have or who's captured us or how strong we are. There's a, a slavery that has something to do with truth. They're not religious organizations or anything like that. They are just simply universities that recognize truth is something different. This is what Jesus is saying, that he wants you and I to be free, and the only way to get to that is through truth. There's a classic illustration of it. Ever seen that picture of an elephant that is tied to a metal folding chair? You're all laughing because you're starting to see it in your minds. You've probably seen the picture before, right? There's this elephant, a massive three-ton elephant tied to an aluminum folding chair. And do you know that actually that's, that's reality? It, that really happens. Um, elephants get trained when they are little. They, they have a, a chain, you know, try, tied around to their legs, and it's attached to a stake. And when they're tiny, they are not strong enough to pull that chain out and to pull the stake out and to walk away. And so over the years, they learn to fear that stake. They learn to control their bodies and their minds are, are kind of beat into submission to say, when I'm chained, I will not walk away. But of course, over the years, the elephant grows and pretty quick, it could really easily walk away. It won't though, it never will. As long as that chain is on it, you can tie anything to the other side of the chain. You can tie a tiny stick to it, and it will not walk away. That's the picture that Jesus wants you and I to kind of think about a little bit with ourselves, that we are chained. Not by strong external forces, not even really by specific internal forces, but rather that we have some kind of a, a fundamental, a basic issue of power that controls our hearts and our minds and our bodies, and it pins us down. Compare it with a few other examples. Right? Compare it with a few examples. Let's say, God forbid, that you are trapped in somebody's basement. You've been taken captive and you're held in somebody's basement. What's your fundamental, your basic issue of captivity there? It's that you don't have enough strength to get away. You're held in that basement and even if you didn't, maybe you need a gun, maybe your captor has a gun, you just don't have the strength to overpower him or her and get away. Now, there's no truth in the world that will get you out of that situation. Right? I could tell you to your blue in the face, hey, your captor upstairs is dead, but you can't open the door, so it doesn't matter. Your fundamental issue is not one of truth. Your fundamental issue at that point, your slavery, is because you're just not strong enough. Or, or let's imagine that you work for the company. And the company has the company store, they have the company bank that sells you your mortgage for your house and everything else. 
And for a while, things go good, but to get your house, you have to take out a mortgage from the bank, right? And pretty soon, you find yourself in huge debt to the company. What's your basic issue, your fundamental issue of slavery? It's that you don't have the resources to get you out of debt, right? And I can tell you till you're blue in the face, debt is not a real thing. Debt's just a figment of your imagination. But you would not be any more free. On the other hand, Jesus says there is a kind of slavery that has nothing to do with the strength that you and I have. It has nothing to do with the amount of resources we have. It has nothing to do with the power that we have in life. There's a slavery that has everything to do with a matter of truth. This is why one way to think about sin is, as Jesus says to us today, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. We should be concerned about freedom from external forces. If you can't use your resources in life the way that you want, if you are literally physically a slave to somebody, that's, that's not a good thing. And we should be concerned about internal freedom too. We should all try to free ourselves from bitterness and anger and guilt and resentment and rage and hatred and everything else. If those things are controlling you, then you aren't free either. But Jesus, he wants us to see that freedom is more than that. That there is a kind of slavery that controls our hearts and our minds and our bodies and our thinking so deeply that it has power over us. It's the issue of the elephant. The elephant was filled from its legs all through its head and everything that it wanted in life with this corruption that just pinned it down there, even if it could walk away. So it couldn't. And that's what Jesus says really holds us in slavery. And you only get this kind of freedom one way. If the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. That's the only way to really get free. I think about that sometimes when I think about a, a man who was really helpful for me in my life. I was working with a group of people that I really had a hard time liking. Definitely had a hard time loving them. You ever work with people that are just have a really hard time loving them? And I met this guy... And he said, you know, the first thing that people just want to know as you work with them is, can you love them? Is it possible for you to love them? Do you love them? And, and can you be loved by them? Can you have that kind of relationship with them? And I said, yeah, but that's the issue. I can't love them. And what was really helpful, what was really remarkable in this whole situation is that he did not just try to beat it into my head and change my mind that... I needed to love them. He did not try to set me free in that way. Nor did he try to get me out of the situation, you know, like a lot of people might do and say, hey, you know, you should just quit that job, move on to another job, and maybe those people will be more lovable. He didn't see my slavery just as one of external forces, right, that were controlling me. He got to know me a little bit, and then he said to me, you know what, I love you. And even though you're filled with anger and bitterness and you have these people that are very hard to love, I love you and I care about you more than you care about yourself. And that was the one thing that I needed to set me free. 
somebody who came into my captivity and loved me even when I was unlovable, even when all the people around me could not love me, would not care about me, and wanted nothing to do with me. And friends, that's what Jesus Christ has done for you and me in such a a greater way. When Jesus stood on trial, there's this remarkable moment where King Pontius Pilate looks at, at Jesus and he says, are you a king? And Jesus responds back to him and says, that's what you say, but the reason I came into this world is to testify to the truth. Now think about the irony of that moment where the man himself who has become God in flesh is held enslaved in chains. He's captured. And the only thing he wants to do is to declare the truth that he loves you and he's standing there enslaved enslaved in chains for you. He didn't try to get away. He didn't try to run away from all of the forces in his life that were pinning him down. He didn't try to get away from all the people that hated him, from all of their resentment and their bitterness and their rage. And I know, I know that you and I, right, we've got all kinds of people like that in our lives. People who want nothing to do with us because you try to stand for the truth. People who want nothing to do with you because they feel like you wronged them 30 years ago and they just haven't gotten over it. You feel like you're trapped. Your Savior was far more trapped than you will ever be by people who hated you, hated him, and he loves you anyway. There was nothing in this whole world that would stop him from standing there in those chains just so he could say, I love you and I will die for you. And there is only one place in the whole world where you will hear a message of that truth. The truth that the Son of God took on chains so that you could be free. And it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. You're not going to find that anywhere else. There's only one place in the whole world to hear the gospel of Jesus. In the Bible. That's why we are saved through Scripture alone. You will never find any other place in this whole world that will really set you free from your deepest slavery. And that's what makes Scripture the most satisfying. It's the one place that will really set you free. I was really encouraged. I've been looking at a book uh, from a man named Ted about healthy churches. What makes congregations really work well? What makes you and I people who can do God's work well in this world? And he said this, he said, your congregation can grow in spiritual maturity and increase its health by increasing Bible study among leaders and members. The key to becoming and maintaining the health of a Christian church depends on the members being rooted in the word of Christ. If you and I want to be healthy, there's one simple way. Get into Bible study together with other people. Learn around the word what God's word says so that you can be set free. That is the one thing that will get you out of conflict with the people around you, set you free from your bitterness and your anger and your resentment and your tough situations so that you can be free. Are you in the word? Not just personally, but with other people so that you can be set free? Get rid of those chains. That is how satisfying scripture is. It will set you free. 
I'd like to pray for God's word to set you and I free, and then we'll join in confessing our faith. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for giving us your word to make us free. It is the only thing that will really set us free from so many of these chains of bitterness and anger and resentment and rage and pain and love for, for desire and approval, all the things that pin us down in life. I pray that you would use your word to work in all of our lives so that we can be free and follow you. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.